0: And if there wasn't first fruits, then you'd be financially ruined. You wouldn't have anything to eat, you wouldn't have anything to sell. When it was a great harvest, when the first fruits showed that there's going to be a bumper crop, there would be a time of joy and celebration, like the, the book of Ruth. But if there wasn't any food, then there would be financial ruin and, and empty stomachs. Now Jesus says, I'm the first fruits. Paul describes them as the first fruits of a new creation. Jesus is is like the crashing wave that a surfer longs for. And Jesus says, I'm part of that crashing wave of the new creation. Because I was raised from death to life, so shall anyone who trusts in me be. I'm the first signpost, the first fruits of future glory. And so the gospel is God's future breaking into our present like this wave crashing, like, like this shoot grow, growing up from the ground. It's new life in me and you if you're a Christian, but not just you and me. It's not just personal. The salvation project in Jesus that he's the first fruit of is global, it's cosmic, it's complete, it's altogether new. There's an order to it. It says that in sentence 23. Look in verse 23, it says, each in his own turn. The newness of life that's coming from the future, where Christ is the first fruits. Well, there, there are three steps in that sentence. Here's the first one New life comes in, and Christ is raised. Christ is the first fruits. The resurrection power of that future glorious world is breaking into our real pain filled present world. That's the first step. Second step when you believe in Christ, there's a spiritual resurrection that happens. Once again, this is a huge concept. It is there in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul wrote as well. You could read it later on. Paul says this is so, so incredible. Paul says the same power that God used to raise his son from the grave, from the empty tomb, is at work in you as well. If you're a Christian, that resurrection power, the same power, has changed your past. It's forgiven now because of Jesus' work. He's changed your present priorities because of what Jesus means to you. He's changed your future because of the reality that Jesus is just the first fruits of. That's the second step. But then thirdly, it's spiritual, it's personal. Jesus is the first fruits. It's resurrection power. But notice the third part from that sentence as well. It's not just that we're spiritually raised, but it says after that, Christ will come and all those who belong with him so it's that spiritual promise that's coming into the present and just as jesus had a real physical knock on the uh, tombstone physical resurrection so will everyone who is in the lord jesus christ it's not just spiritual it's not just ethereal it's not just out there in the future when jesus returns there will be a physical resurrection of everyone who believes and trusts in him When you plant a new plant sometimes you get to choose what you want so this week i've done some tomato seeds i've, I've take, took some cuttings from roses last year but sometimes there are things like a blue forget-me-nots and if you get those ones they're really pretty but they go like wildfire they can just take over a whole garden they're really pretty so you leave them but if you're not careful they kind of strangle the other plants that are around them that are growing and here's god who says That tidal wave of future glory is breaking into your heart and it will change you. God's power is undeniable. It's real. And when it's a little plug of new creation life put in your heart, like Michael's 40 years ago, God's power is so undeniable that he will transform every person who is new in Jesus into a greater likeness of their future glory self. They will become more like Jesus. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a decade, there should be change. Isaiah 40 says, you will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not be faint. That future power, because the resurrection of Jesus that happened in the past comes into your life now and it changes you. An undeniable plug of new creation power that takes over the entirety of your priorities, your future passions, your current desires. You will run and not grow where you will walk, and not be faint, that, that's that creation order, Christ is raised, it's the first fruit, you believe in the reality of the spiritual resurrection, and then in the future, there will be a reality of a physical resurrection, and then it says in verse 24 and 26, then the end will come, when the Lord Jesus hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power, for he must Rain until he's put all of his enemies under his feet. and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The whole universe is going to be made new and good again. It's going to be made wonderful. If you enjoyed last night's sunset, if you've enjoyed the warmth today, if you enjoy the beauty in the created order, just imagine what will the new creation be like. God's power is on 2.0. It's on HD. it's not in standard definition anymore. And you may be thinking, oh, this is just what I thought about Christianity. It's pie in the sky when you die. Christianity is, uh, just sounds like a hoax like the, uh, the disciples believed at the beginning of Christianity. There couldn't have been an empty tomb. Dead people don't receive their life back. And you're absolutely right. Christianity is either a terrible hoax based on the first Easter or it's the truth. There's nothing in between. The claims of Jesus are so great they're so large they are cosmic they are new creation big they're not just a changed heart they're changed lives but it's the whole creation order is going to be remade by his word of authority and power and the resurrection of Jesus is just a foretaste of that new reality it's going to be the same but it's going to be altogether different it's going to be continuity but discontinuity and if you're a Christian This morning i want to ask you this question do you realize that do you realize that i mean imagine this imagine you receive the keys to a brand new house to you someone comes along to you and they give you the keys to this lovely house it's by the seaside it's it's one of my dreams to own a house by the sea you can see the sea you can smell the sea you can See the waves crashing, you, you, you can feel the warmth of the sun, it's just incredible. There's a thatched cottage by the sea, and now you own it as a free gift. But the trouble is, if ever you've owned a house, you don't just get to uh, smell the sea and see the sea and feel the warmth of it on sunny days and, and hear the birds gliding and see uh, children enjoying the beach with you. The trouble is, there's work to be done. You're, you're a homeowner now, you may not own a home now, but now you do. And there's work that needs to be done. The, the guttering needs fixing and, and you need to go under the stairs again and see why the uh, electricity meter isn't working. There's a lot of work to be done. And the temptation is that you stay under the stairs. You, you go up to the loft and, and you lag the pipes. You, you go and uh, get some help for the plumbing and you have to stand there with them. But outside, the sun's beating down and you're missing it. You're so... Um, stuck in the mundane things that have to be done, grouting that needs to be replaced around the bath, that you miss the magnificence of the world outside. Christian friend, when was the last time you were struck by the magnificence of what the resurrection means? Not just to you, but the future. You can get bogged down in the mundane things of life. When we used to meet physically, it's chairs that need to be put out, and it's hard work. People that need to be greeted and they're not always easy to greet. Stuff that needs to be done up for a manual kids, things that need to be organized when you'd rather be couch uh, surfing on the sofa. The Christian life sometimes can be really mundane. You want to read your Bible, you want to pray, but sometimes it's a slog. And the danger is you're stuck up in the attic of the mundane or you're under the stairs in the mundane and you're forgetting that you've got the keys to this wonderful new house. When was the last time you went on the patio? When was the last time you sought to take in and bask in the wonder and beauty of the created world? When was the last time, more importantly, you you sought to understand the realities of the spiritual truths that Christ Jesus has won for us? Don't get stuck in the mundane. To enable you to do the mundane, being under the stairs, serving Jesus faithfully and truly, you need to bask in the magnificence of his glory the glory of the gospel so get outside remember that jesus has adopted you as a son remember you that you can feel remember that you can feel the warmth of his embrace as his holy spirit comes close to you get outside and remember the magnificence of the creation and the magnificence of the new creation that christ has won for us here's the second one jesus has done something else he's not just renewing the world he's renewing the image of God in every believer. What do I mean about that? I think in the first Adam, we spoke about that at the beginning. In the first uh, Adam in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, when we meet him, he had the image of God. He was made higher than the animals, higher than the created order. He wasn't as worthwhile as a plant or a shrubbery. He wasn't as worthwhile as a pig or a donkey. He was higher. He was created in the image of God. So he had creative power. He was to rule and reign as God's vice regent under his loving rule and authority over God's created world. But sin came into the world, that paint bomb, and it marred the world and it marred God's image in every human as well. It's called the fall. The image of God is broken in us. And here in sentence 49, there's a promise from Jesus. Sentence 49 Jesus is the second Adam, and he's renewing every Christian in the image of his son look at sentence 49 and just as we were born the likeness of the earthly man that's adam the first adam so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven that's jesus the second adam so for you and me to grow in our isolated state that we currently uh, experience it's not not just a matter of reading more books for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus, it's not just a, a matter of finding the right podcast or church service to plug into. Growing as a Christian is a spiritual resurrection that happens when you believe the gospel. And when that happens, God renews his image in our hearts and he goes to work. Here's C.S. Lewis again. It's a really famous quote. You can see it on the screen. He summarizes 1 Corinthians 15 perfectly. God is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command, being perfect. He will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures. Pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale his own boundless power and delight and goodness the process will be long and in parts very painful but that is what we're in for nothing less he meant what he said c.s lewis is talking about a mirror mirrors have a couple of functions But a mirror always has to be turned towards something. Just ask any teenager. They spend a lot of time in front of a mirror. And as adults, we don't get much better. Mirrors are always turned towards something. And Lewis says, the chief end of man is to enjoy and glorify God, is to uh, turn his heart and his affection, her motivations and her priorities towards God. A mirror turns towards something so we can see ourselves. we fill its uh, image, we fill its boundaries and think about your heart, what and where is our heart turned towards? Is it turned towards our family so that's what matters most to us? Uh, have we turned our priorities and our heart towards our career so that we're filled with career? It's turned towards money so we're filled with money and, and what that might accrue for us but we're heading towards something that uh, We've pushed the mirror of our hearts towards, we've filled our gaze with that priority. But a Christian is someone whose mirror, whose heart, his life, whose mind, whose desires are turned towards God. Turned towards God to be renewed in his image. The image of God in our hearts is being made real and new and fresh. We're living for him, not for ourselves anymore. Archbishop William Temple lived in the 19th century. He put it like this. You can tell what your God is by looking at what you do with your solitude. You can tell what your God is by where your mind goes when you're alone. Now, what a great opportunity lockdown presents for us to spend a little moment or two of introspection, looking what is truly in the mirror of our hearts. Where are we focusing? What are we looking at? what fills our gaze and our priorities. We're in the uh, potentially the longest lockdown since World War II, and I wonder what most worries you. That reveals something. I wonder what most captures your imagination. That reveals a desire and a hope. Temple said, you can tell what your God is by looking at what you do with your solitude. So how will we use our time? Will we be filled with anxiety and fear? Or will we take all those God-given emotions to God and process them there? That's the call upon the Christian. The more we keep our mirror towards God, it is a choice. The more he will fill our gaze, the more he will fill our priorities, the more he will shape our goals. So is God getting just the small part, the margins of your life? Or are there opportunities in our current time zone with all the commitments that we have, especially if there are families at home, to spend time gazing and listening? praying that longings would return, praying that God would reveal himself in a great and a fresh and a new way, but investing time in knowing who God is through reading his word. Are you doing that? Am I doing that as much as we can at this time? A mirror always gets pointed towards something, but mirror also has a strange quality. That's the sun, like my jumper, my jumper just absorbs the light. It's, it's the wrong color for when it's warm. If you wear black, it, it absorbs the light. So you stay cool underneath, but If you wear white or if you've got a mirror, then then a mirror reflects what it looks at. Think of it like this. Uh, My jumper grabs the light, but a mirror reflects the light. So you may have gone to church, real church, not virtual church, all your life. You may know something of who God is in the gospel, but the truths have never been real to you. The truths have always bounced off your heart like light reflects. But what a great thing to ask even today one of the signs that uh, god has come to work and live in your heart to dwell there is that truths no longer bounce off they no longer reflect they come to dwell the reality of the gospel is not just understood it becomes heavy upon you it becomes true to you if you've ignored it for years then when god comes close to you he becomes ignorable the truths become undeniable it can feel like a weight, which is a good thing when God comes close to you. It's two things with a mirror. The panorama of this, uh, this chapter is absolutely vast. It's, it's, it's like a, a pano that you can do on your iPhone. You can get so much more in than just a normal picture. Just ask Michael about how to take photos. But has that happened to you? Even virtually as we talk, has that happened to you where God takes the truth of the gospel that you knew something of and then he comes close it's like a weight on your heart that you can't deny a truth that you always questioned but now now it appears to be true and then now you've got to go and do some work and see if it is true that's one of the signs that you're being renewed as a as a son and daughter of the king that god's truth is ignorable no more it becomes true truth to you comes heavy on your heart god's dealing with you perhaps he's doing that today And then you reflect his glory as the image of God is being renewed. You're you're like that that mirror. You were born to reflect his glory. Nothing less will do. You were made for more. C.S. Lewis is right. Here's the third thing. Here's the final thing. Jesus is not just part of the new creation order. He's not just renewing us in the image of God. Jesus is also the second Adam because he was our substitute. He was like the first Adam. He bears our humanity. He knows our weakness and our needs, but he's also the risen, reigning son of God. And so because of those two parallel truths, those two realities knitted together in Jesus, the son of God, born to Mary at Christmas, he can be our substitute. Look at uh, sentence 21, 22 again. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I've done some rock climbing in my time, twice. It was indoor. It was safe. I had a harness on. But just imagine you're one of the people on this picture. Just imagine that you're climbing a sheer rock face, would you please? And there's not just two of you, there's a group of you. Let's say five, let's say six, something like that. You're joined together with the rope and uh, you're working really hard um, to climb this sheer rock face. It's so exhilarating, it's so enjoyable, it's what you've trained for. But then something horrible happens. One in your group loses a footing and there's a sickening scream as they fall southwards. Gravity does its worst and does its work and they pull them south. They're falling into the abyss. But that's not all. Because you're all connected, The rope then tugs and one after another, there's a sickening scream as now four of you are hanging from one person. The final person, the one who's at the top to whom you all joined, they know what's gonna happen. And so in goes not just one hammer, in goes the second hammer and they're holding on for dear life, not just for their own, but for the four people who are hanging from them. There's no hope. And as the fourth person's uh, rope tightens around that one person who's dug in, there's a sickening cry, not just from the people beneath him, but from the man himself who's holding on, not just for his behalf, but for everybody's behalf. The rope is now dug in and almost through his T-shirt. Sweat is now... Dripping from his brow. He can't let go. He mustn't let go because four people are hanging from him, depending on his strength. Their resources have gone. They've fallen away. But this one man is holding on, not just for himself, but for everybody. You can hear perhaps a rib pop in the first man who's holding on. But he knows what he must do. He can't just hold on forever. He knows his strength is limited. And so with all his might, he releases one of his hands and puts it higher up the mountain face to pull himself up as the T-shirt now gives way, as the rope is rubbing through his skin, maybe even his bone is revealed and blood is seen. But because he's his striving, because he worked his way up the rock face, now one person beneath him can get their footing back and the weight gets lessened then a second, then a third, then a fourth, because of his striving, they are now safe because of his work and his sweat and his toil and his tears. They've been rescued. Without him, they would have fallen to their death. He was the last man on the mountain. He stood his ground. He'd made some ground. He was crushed. And for hundreds of years, that illustration has been used to give some really helpful light on the work of Jesus that we remember next Friday on Good Friday. You see, Jesus, he was the last man on the mountain. Jesus was crushed, not beneath a rope, but between the wrath or underneath the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He carried not just four people, he carried all of humanity's burdens upon his shoulders. And that because he was treated as guilty, and he bore our weight upon himself we can be treated as he is innocent and guiltless Jesus was the last one he was the last man on the mountain he stood his ground and he was crushed underneath that terrible weight and that's a great illustration but it breaks down at one point we're not attached by Jesus to Jesus physically. There's no rope that connects us to Jesus. That's the weak point and a very helpful illustration. We're attached to Jesus by faith. It's a spiritual joining. We're, we're in Him. We're, we're hidden with Christ on high." It says in 2 Corinthians five, "God made him sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We're flawed we failed. We're all fallen. We all share in the first Adam's humanity, but by faith we can receive the new Adam, the second Adam's humanity, and so that God does not treat us as we deserve. He treats us as Christ deserves. as the gospel. There's an old man called Martin Luther. Someone came to him one day and said, Martin, how do you prepare yourself for the day? Living is so hard. I'm so distressed. I'm so discouraged. I'm probably depressed. This is, a, this is what Luther said. He said, if you get yourself ready to face the troubles of the day, do this. He says, Lord Jesus, you became what you were not so that I could become what I was not. You became a sinner so that I could be accepted and righteous in God's sight. You put on yourself what was mine. He carried our burdens and you set on me what was yours so that now I live because you died. It's a wonderful truth that we need to rub into our hearts. You're my second Adam, Jesus. You did what the first Adam could not do. You stood on the mountain. You stayed there. And you did it for me.